This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the Leadership Strategist. Tonight's guest, neuroscience PhD and founder of Flore Beauty, Dr. Natalie King. Hey, what you drinking? Talk a little bit about Maxine Clark, because that's a name that might, I don't know, might might be as known as Dave Peacock, might be a little less known than Dave Peacock. But talk a little bit about, about Maxine Clark, who she is, and uh, why do you have her on your Invisible Board of Directors? Yes. So Maxine Clark, especially if you're in this area, you know exactly who Maxine Clark is. She is a phenomenal female leader, woman leader. Um, she is actually the CEO and founder of Build-A-Bear Net, uh, Workshop. So if you're familiar with the territory, it actually started here in St. Louis, the Galleria. That was her first store. And now she is a, it's a global brand bringing in billions of dollars every year and making significant impact. Um, so from a, an impact perspective and just a woman being able to build a, co- a company of that size, it just made sense to, to, to have her on there. But more specifically, I ended up winning the Arch Grant in 2020, and that's a local competition for um, you know new startups in, in in the St. Louis region, St. Louis area, but this particular Midwest region. And right after the competition, I tell the story all the time, and I think Maxine jokes and she laughs about it. Uh, but right after the competition, I, I remember getting a message from her on LinkedIn, and I thought I was being punked. <laughs> I was like, "Where's Ashton? Where is he coming right, out?" Right. You know, I mean, LinkedIn, yes, you can reach out and there's a lot of access to a lot of cool, cool folks, but she's always been like in, like I have her book, you know, her, her leadership book. I have one of the bears, like my dad's voice is in one of the bears. My sister had gotten it for me for what? So it was a really interesting full circle moment. And I was like, this can't be real. Like, is she reading? You know what I mean? So from that moment on, we've been really close friends. She's, she has helped me more than I think anyone can say they've helped so far as far as building this brand from the building the mindset of a leader, building the mindset of a, a business person, but then also actual tangible things, right? She's introduced me to my packager. She's introduced me to like all, like her network. She's opened up her network to me. And so, and that's something you can't, you really can't buy that, right? Like someone who's willing to to open up their network and share their expertise with you, someone who's built something. She's a badass. <laughs> Absolutely. If, if you know Maxine, she is, uh, she's like about, 
she's like really tiny. I'm six feet, you know, I'm six feet tall and I'm always in heels, but she's like a little, she's really, really small. And she's just, she's a powerhouse. She will tell you exactly like it is in a matter of minutes. And you better, you better whip it into high gear (laughs) as soon as she tells you. (laughs) Why is it important, do you believe, to have someone like that on your board? Because it's very easy to say, you know, I want to have someone who's going to just be an encourager. But it it seems like you're not looking for yes people. It doesn't seem like you're looking for people that will just cheer you on, but people who will be the the stone wall against, uh, against which you can push if you need to. Yeah, I would actually say this goes back to EI a little bit too, right? So it's that idea of self-awareness. Self-awareness, as I mentioned, many of us think we're more self-aware than we are. And so it's incumbent on us to look out to others to be able to actually check us a little bit, right? Like, Mm. "Mm, maybe you're not, you know, maybe this isn't the way that, you know, you should do something. Or they're, they're able to really give you that feedback that you need that's from the outside looking in versus just the inside looking out. And so you're right, like, I love to have people in my corner who are encouraging, you know, my family does that and, you know, have friends and and people like that. But when it comes to this board, you know, and just kind of who I surround myself with as far as business goes, I need people who are going to do that, that feedback loop, right? Like, I need you to tell me, oh, Natalie, this is not, this isn't it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, this isn't going to work out. That's not, you know, just give me that feedback that I am not aware of. And I think some of it too is understanding that, I may have been great at a lot of things in my past, but I've never ran a business. I've never started a business. So there's a level of awareness here that says, I, you know, I, there's a lot here I don't know. So how, who can I really ask that will really give me the real? And then beyond that, solution-based people, right? So like I said, Dave is a connector, Maxine's a connector, and all people that I would say I surround myself with are very much like that. There's not a lot of like, oh, let's just talk back and forth and hang out. It's very much, okay, what do you need? What's the request? What, what are we trying to do? Let's figure out who we need to, to, to resolve whatever it is, right? So it's a very much that action kind of solution-based kind of support that I think is really needed when you're trying to build a business because you don't know everything and you also don't know everybody. <laughs> so, so how do you, you know, how do you build out? I think it's like, how do you round out, round that out for yourself, I guess is the way I'm trying to say it. And it also goes back to what you were saying a minute ago as well about, you know, how do you make the decision to choose and focus on one thing at a time? It's that concept of, okay, if I want to be a scientist over here, but I want to be a model all the way over there, those are two, like on two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Just because you have some skills in one, you may not have skills in the other, doesn't mean you can't do them, but you do have to surround yourself and put yourself in positions that will get you the skills that you need or get you around the people that can help you be good or great at that thing. So I think it's it's kind of linking all those things together. Like, how do I surround myself with people that are smarter than me, quite frankly, <laughs> in this wow. particular area? Okay, so now we're going to go totally, totally off off script here, but I'm just really curious, what is the driving thing behind all of these passions of yours there has to be this common reality that you're trying to manifest in the world i would say there are three things and i'm gonna get real real here so i mean not that i haven't (laughs) but family the family line is is kind of and i'm not gonna cry but the family thing is very very big for me you know my father he passed away 10 years ago now that's crazy it's been 10 years And so he was just always that person who was 
very much the, uh, how would I describe it? Very resourceful, very, very much entrepreneurial, very, very much the work he worked for everything that he had and made sure the family was taken care of. So I would say I had that same kind of drive. Being able to take care of and support my family is a big, big, big push. It doesn't matter what I've done. It's always been that that bottom line can just, you know, help and support my family, can just bring us closer to financial independence and financial freedom. There's very much a bottom line aspect to that. The second thing I would say is impact. I think impact has been a big word for me lately. And I, most of the things that I've done have, at least to date, have been very much, you know, they have their level of impact there, but I think some of it was very much, you know, they were personal to me, right? Like doing a TED Talk or, you know, finishing a degree, like very personal things that mostly affected just me, right? But I think now most of the driving factor is like, how can I make an impact on other communities, like the world, you know, so it's it's more like, how do I drive that impact? And then I think the final thing, if I'm being real honest, some of it is anxiety. Like I, I do have um, diagnosed generalized anxiety disorder. And I, I'm usually very upfront about that because, you know, I'm a neuroscientist. I probably should learn to be upfront about things that are affecting me. And I think it's important to speak about that, especially in our community. But I definitely use, I channel my energy a little bit. So I would say I'm considered more high functioning in that regard. I, I channel it into different projects and things. And so that's why people say, well, how do you like, when do you sleep? I'm like, well, you know, I, I've used, I use my energy in a way that I can and do X, Y, and Z. But I would say the anxiety is that, I don't know if you've ever done the, the activity is I think it's an EI activity actually, where they talk, they tell you to think about your funeral and, and think about what you want people to say about you and, and all of that. And I think the anxiety is getting to the end of my life and feeling like I didn't do anything, feeling like I didn't do anything <laughs> to impact anyone. That's a big problem for me. So I, I would, I would never want to be in a position where, you know, if you get, make it to heaven or something and, you, and God was like, you know, I had all these other things you were supposed to do, but you didn't do any of them. Yeah. I'd be really upset about that. <laughs> That, that would be a bad day, right? Well, I mean, it'd be a pretty bad day. Like he's telling you, you could have been this and this and this, and you, you could have made this impact. And all you chose to do was like, you know, settle and, and not kind of walk into your full purpose. I, I think that would be a yeah, pretty disappointing for me. I think that that's something that you and I share to a certain degree in that purpose is really, really important. And what I am becoming ever more convinced of is that a lot of people are afraid of finding their purpose. They're so afraid, in fact, that many aren't even looking for their purpose. Why do you think that is? Is it because of the work that it requires or they feel like they're not gonna make it to, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think for, for everyone, obviously it's, it's different, but a lot of times I hear people say, well, you're just afraid of success. I, I, I don't agree with that phrasing anymore. Uh, I, I believe if someone says that they have a fear of success, I think what they are actually meaning is that they are afraid of the responsibility that might come with success. Because I think so many people are okay with being successful accidentally. But to be successful on purpose, to actually put the work in and be intentional about trying to be successful about this thing. And then uh, once I become a PhD in neuroscience, to be able to count on me and depend on me to deliver at that high level, I think a lot of people are fearful and nervous of the responsibility they believe come with success. 
and they opt not to even go for it. No, I can definitely, I can definitely agree with you on that. I mean, being successful, right? Like however people define that word, but in the traditional way people would define it, it can be a lot of work, right? It it can be very exhausting. It can be, you know, it can be very um, exposing, you know what I mean? Like it, it can definitely take a lot out of a person. So I can definitely see I could see that being a thing for sure. <laughs> like thinking yeah. about it as I'm processing it as, as I speak. So I would agree. So, so I mean, so we're, we're talking with leaders right now. So leaders are listening to this and, you know, it could be a leader from a traditional sense, you know, where they've, you know, their, their name is pretty high up on some organizational chart and they've got layers and layers of people underneath them looking for direction on where do I go, you know, next week, next month, next year, that kind of thing. That's kind of a traditional view of leadership, or it could be someone who says, you know, Galen, I'm not leading people. I'm not interested in leading people. I'm just trying to get from today to tomorrow a little bit better, a little bit faster with a little bit more happiness. And they don't necessarily see that as leadership, but I do. So what, what kind of suggestions would you give to those people who are either leading organizations or trying to get their own life right. And you and I shared about the importance of emotional intelligence, but what are some things that you would recommend that they lean into as they try to understand their role in leadership? Yeah, so I would say for the the organizational leader, I would say the times that I've seen it done right I guess I would say are those who kind of like how I described it at the beginning are those who have that sort of way about them that has that is more of a transformational leader. I I guess Mm -hmm. it's kind of the the term that people would use now where people really see you as, as almost aspirational, right? Like, you know, you live what you say, (laughs) you know, you're really acting out the behaviors that you seek you know, I think most people today are are a little bit, they're kind of over leaders who just kind of hand down the messages and, you know, the memos and the, you know, especially if they don't see you living up to that standard, right? So, and I think it's going to get even more and more in that direction, right? So it's almost like that level of the transparent leader. Like if it's terrible, just say it's terrible. Like, cause we know it's terrible on the bottom, you know, on, on, the, on, the, on the front lines, we know. <laughs> You can't put lipstick on that pig. You can't, you know what I mean? So it, I think it's like that is the transparency. It's the the transformational, like being able to, to live the behaviors you say you want in your organization and being able to see people, having your your people in your organization see you leading from leading from the group, like re- not just from the top, but really leading from the group and, and acting on, on whatever it is that you're saying you, you want the organization to be doing um, and keeping with that transparency open. I, I think- most times you'll see um, leaders who are trying, I don't know if they're trying to shield things or like I said, the, the majority of people are not, they're not dumb. You know, <laughs> they know when something is up, they have that awareness at least. Um, and then on the other side of it, being human, I think leaders who can be human are extremely important. So it's not about necessarily coming to work and telling everything or, or being everything to everyone. But I think those leaders who can show that level of humanity, even in their position of leadership, most people will really, that's when you you have evangelists as opposed to 
you know, just coworkers or just, you know, people who work for you. You have people who will really go to bat for what it is you're trying to build. So that's what I would say for, I think, the, the, the leader who is, I guess, at the top. For someone who is just trying to, and forgive me if I missed the, the, the definition, but you said they're just trying to get from day to day. Yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to manage their thing, right? They're just trying to improve their thing. How, how, do, I, how do I get better at what I got to do? I don't lead people. I'm not even interested in leading people. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good one. Um, that's there's actually a lot of people in that space, right? They they don't see themselves as people managers in any shape of the word. I would say it's funny because I'm building a brand now, and I'm like in in most aspects of that, I'm technically a people leader. But in my corporate life, you'll know that I I'm not the people leader. Like I'm very much the technical side. Um, so I get that completely. I would say some of it is mindset shifting too. It's kind of like what you said. You don't necessarily believe that they aren't a leader. They are a leader in, in the context of which they, um, you know, act out their responsibilities. So I would say some of that is a little bit of mindset building too. And then outside of that, I think taking it back to understanding, like, what do you want to make an impact in, right? Is it, is it just a, you want to go to work and you want to focus on your task and that's, that's your full scope. That's cool. Or do you want to make within that make a, a broader impact. Like you, I think it's really getting clear on what you want, right? Like, what do you want for yourself? Um, what do you want for your family? And what do you want for your community, right? I think some of it ha- comes back to personal responsibility and really being able to, to think more broadly about who you're representing. You aren't always just representing yourself, right? I thought about that a lot going through grad school where it was like, I feel like I had the generation, you know, generations on my shoulders. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think most black and brown people feel that way for some degree, um, given the history, but, you know, really understand what it is you want to do and, and think of, of yourself a bit more broadly in the, in the context of the global, being a global citizen, right? Even if you aren't a global leader, technically, that doesn't mean you are not a global citizen. And what does that mean in terms of impact for you? But yeah, I think getting a little bit more, um, more clear on what you, what you want, and then letting those decisions guide where you would go to next. Wow. So that, again, that just sounds so much like, self-awareness, you know, emotional, the first step in emotional intelligence, becoming a student, maybe even a PhD uh, in you, right? Uh, how can you identify what you're trying to do? Uh, and that has to be the, the, the first step before anyone can do it. Right. And so now you're taking all of this, I mean, all these different avenues you could have gone in and that you have gone in and you're saying, okay, I'm going to create my own hair wellness brand. Because I have nothing else to do. (laughs) Clearly, clearly no other talents. This has got to (laughs) work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was like, who decided that you're going to launch a brand in the middle of a pandemic while you're working a corporate job and traveling almost every week? Yeah. That uh, was, <laughs> it's ridiculous. So how, how did, how does that, uh, how does that become a thing? You know, how did you, how did you land on that being where you would direct your energies and talents as opposed to anything else? What was calling to you about this this opportunity? Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of different places I can take that question. Um, so you're looking at me right now, you see, I have actual extremely curly hair. (laughs) So there was a natural progression there in terms of just being a consumer of the, the, the textured hair care market myself. And I've actually asked that quite a bit, right? Cause they're like, well, you you know, you have a 
you're a neuroscientist. Why, like, who swings all the way to beauty, right? It's, they don't necessarily seem like they align, but they do. And they align for a number of different reasons. One, it's chemistry. So at the end of the day, it is you're producing a product, an actual product that is a chemical product and you're bringing it to a market. And then beyond that, there's a huge neuroscience component to this, right? Especially in our community around the discussion of hair. We've seen and heard a lot of that lately. You know, we are disproportionately affected by certain, um, you know, hair and scalp conditions. There's a lot here that really plays on emotional and mental wellness, um, especially in our communities around hair and what that means for us as a community. And our hair has been attached to political, you know, politics over the years, like just so many different things, right? So it's not, it seems very disparate and random, but it's really not, you know, like when it comes down to that. But long story short, so I started it just in terms of picking it, I, I've actually been making products in my kitchen for years. <laughs> wow. You know, as I mentioned, my background, my family background is Jamaican and Cuban. So multiple textures in one, one head. Did not really understand how to take care of my hair for a very long time, actually. It wasn't until I got to corporate where I was like, oh, I really should probably think about this. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was in the lab. No one cared what I looked like in the lab. Um, and I didn't really understand the concept of like really learning products and learning how to properly, you know, use a, a technique that works for, for my particular curls and um, keeps my hair hydrated, like all those things. And so I just started making products in my own kitchen because I, my hair was damaged. I didn't really know what to do with it. And I just started digging. My usual MO is to dig into Like I go very deep into something. So I started looking at the literature. I started, you know, trying to understand how others were making products and, it just became this thing during, especially during the pandemic. Now I talk about my anxiety and it was one of those things that could help me channel my anxiety during the height of the <laughs> pandemic. Right. You know, I was like, all right, like, everybody outside is losing their minds. Let me, let me focus my energy on something. And that was one of the things that I focused on. And then we'll, well, I think we'll get to this a little bit, but the, the, the purpose of the brand is, is not just products. So we have a product side. Yes. It's a personalizable product. So it's getting to that aspect of knowing that we are all unique, even in, you know, when it comes to the texture of our hair. And then there's a personalized hair care education aspect. Cause like I said, I, you know, I was grown. I was what, 26, 27. Like, how, how do I not know, you know, the products in this space and how to style my hair, you know, appropriately? And I was like, there's a definite need here as far as like getting women and, and men to understand how to properly care for their own hair. Because and I feel like I'm rambling, just please tell me if I am, but there's another context when it comes to things like the Crown Act, right? So like I said, our hair has been highly politicized over the, the course of history and it's it's still very much happening today, right? So if you think about the Crown Act and what that is, is a piece of legislation that focuses on anti-discrimination against pretty much wearing your natural hair in a corporate setting or, or school setting. And you'd be surprised some of those laws are still very much across across the country on the books today. I think only 14 states have passed the Crown Act. So if you think about that, the rest of the states still have laws on their books that could essentially discriminate a you know, person of black and brown ethnicity um, or you know, race to, to, to discriminate against the way they wear their hair and, and, and the way it naturally comes out of their head. It's kind of crazy. Um, so there was just this heightened um, idea of wanting to focus on the educational aspect as well. Um, and then the final piece, it is a beauty tech company. So it's focusing on health tech and the way that 
as I mentioned, disproportionately, we are affected by certain conditions like alopecia, uh, you know, things like um, thyroid diseases and, and all these other sort of chronic conditions that do play a role in hair, skin and nails. And so for those customers who will have, you know, present with those sorts of challenges, they can then speak to our in-house physician and trichologist who we've just added as of a few weeks ago. So pretty excited about it. Wow, this is a, this is this is really fascinating to me, and for the first time, I'm really seeing the strong connection between biochemistry, chemistry, and business industries. And as we joked at the beginning of our conversation, my um, my daughter, the cutest, the smartest, the most talented little girl in the whole wide world. She is a biochemistry major at Spelman College, and she has really kind of gone down that same journey of, you know, having these talents, having these abilities, knowing what she's interested in, not really knowing what to do with it, not really knowing what this could mean for her. Um, she's a talented artist. And I jokingly asked her, well, you know, hey, why don't you major in art? She's like, dad, I can't make any money as an artist. And so she's starting to try to make some of these decisions about her future so that she can prepare for it. And, you know, you are really just embodying this idea that you can play full out in any of these lanes and where they intersect is your opportunity. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. You know, especially when you think about STEM, STEM is like the amalgamation of everything, right? <laughs> it's at the intersection of just about everything you see, touch, you know, feel, smell. And I would just encourage her to, to keep up with the art. Like, it, it's funny because over the last 10 years, I, I graduated from my um, degree in 2014. And I remember at the time, it doesn't seem like that long ago, you know, but I remember at the time... I, this is going to be a personal story. I got in trouble at my grad school because they were like, Natalie, you need to focus, right? You need to focus. It wasn't that I was not focusing. My work didn't say I wasn't focusing, but they just knew that I was doing a couple of different things at the same time. And at that time, even 2014, it wasn't natural for people to, it was still wasn't like a common thing to see these kind of this multi-hyphenate kind of thing, right? If you, if you focus on this, you need to focus on that. Nowadays, and she's blessed to kind of grow up in this age too, where it's almost it's more normal to be multi-hyphenate than it is to just have one thing. So it's, it's, you're absolutely right. It's that intersection, especially when you choose careers within STEM, like whether it's neuro or like she's in biochemistry. I mean, biochemistry touches everything, right? There's so much opportunity to play at the intersection of multiple fields. And as you've seen over time, that intersection is actually where a lot of innovation comes from. Like mm. you're seeing artists applying their skills to neuro you've seen you know back and forth and you're seeing all these things that were previously like undiscoverable or like you know really hard to to understand about computer computer science and neuroscience now, you know things like all these things that were previously hard to understand you're seeing some of that innovation come from applying one field to the other field um so i would just encourage her to not 
you know, put down, you know, one, just because she doesn't understand how at this point, you know, how to merge them, but just kind of keep encouraging them and see, like you said, see where the opportunities flow, because there's a lot out here. People are definitely more open to that type of person, right? It's, it's not like something you have to hide anymore. Like I have to hide, like, um, you know, I'm kind of modeling, you know, I'm kind of doing this thing. <laughs> my, my stuff is kind of in stores, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't until like graduation. People were like, you're in stores. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing that for like five years. You know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> But you have to hide it at the time. Like I have to hide my magazines and my, my lab desk, just crazy stuff like that. Right. So, but it's not the same anymore. And so I would definitely say um, to her, just in, in any other student or person, you know, just, just kind of consider those, those different, those, what seems to be disparate skills and kind of figure out if there are any intersections and ways you can innovate. So, wow. Yeah, that, that's a great, that's a great message for leaders just in general, because, uh, there was a time uh, when senior executives would come out of a particular discipline, right? There was a point when um, they would come, they would come out of management. There's a full on management route. You go from, uh, you know, supervisor to manager, to director, to vice president, senior vice president to, you know, that was kind of the route. And uh, that's actually when I was starting my career, that was the the path. Uh, and then there was a point where uh, the senior executives were coming out of finance, right? CFOs, you, you go through the accounting route and then you become a CFO and then you learn where all the bodies are buried and then they make you the CEO, right? Uh, and then there was a period when uh, senior executives were coming out of engineering because they were saying that it's really about how you think. Can you break problems apart, put solutions back together? And so that was the thinking that would really set you up to be a great senior executives. Today, they're, to your point, they're looking for people and they're valuing people that have these disparate pieces of knowledge. And even our, our common acquaintance, our common friend, Mr. Dave Peacock, listen to his episode he'll tell you he you know he studied journalism you know he wanted to be a he wanted to be in sports right he was writing sports copy there for a bit and then he got into marketing right when he started in uh uh at a bush i don't know if he started in marketing or if he he spent some time in finance where if you look at those individual pieces you might say dude you're wasting your time but then he ends up being, you know, the president of Anheuser Busch North America, and then, and then ultimately running his own his own firm, looking for opportunities. You know, another another one of my mentors that was in uh, season three, Mr. Joe Cavalier. Uh, again, his career very disparate. He's he's doing a, a variety of things, but that gives you the. Uh, ability to pull from so many different places in order to innovate, in order to make decisions. So, yeah, no, I would, I would, it's just such, it's just the way we live now. You know what I mean? It's the world we, in which we live in, right? It, it's kind of the argument around, um, you know, when we talk about diversity and inclusion and, and making sure you have the right people at the table and, mm. and all these diverse perspectives, cool if they can happen in one person, but nine times out of 10, it's not, right? So you you do have to still, and I, I guess I'd add that to the, the, the message for leaders is, you know, 
who is at your table, right? Like who is at your table when it comes to decision-making? Are you really one having those people who that decision is going to be affecting? You know, are those people at the table? Do you have diverse perspectives at the table? Do you have diverse cross-functionally? Who's at the table? Um, so I, I would completely agree with you. Like there's a lot, the way the problems are coming today are very much, you know, broad and deep and wide. And so to think that you can really solve everything with just one set of skills is just not, <laughs> you're going to be outdone every time, yeah. you know? Oh my gosh. You're absolutely right. Well, yeah, you know, th this has been an amazing conversation and you have shared so much wisdom that quite honestly, you, you, you're starting to, sh you're sharing way too much for a free podcast. Uh, I, I've got to bring you into the VIP room. Uh, because you, I mean, yeah, as a matter of fact, I might have to edit out some of the gems that you've dropped already because, uh, you are just, just a wealth of information. Uh, I can absolutely see why you've attracted so many high profile and highly regarded mentors because people love to mentor. They love to be a mentor, but they only, people only want to mentor people who are actually doing things. And, and who are actually working with the resources that you provide. And if you're not going to use the resources that I give you, why in the world would I spend my time trying to think of more resources that I can give you? So you are absolutely doing a lot with a lot. And uh, I just appreciate, you know, this time that you spent uh, with me. Uh, I really appreciate the recommendations that you and I connect. Uh, and, um, you know, any last thing you want to share before I pull you into the VIP room? You know what? I, you said I'm wise. I'm going to go tell my mom now because I think she would be happy to hear that. <laughs> she, she'd have a lot to say on that topic. No, I'm just kidding. Um you know, I, one, I've, I've been very excited to be here with you. So I, I appreciate the, the, the invitation again, and um, just, you know, it's just been a good conversation. So I'm looking forward to more of these. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, hey, well, ra raise your water. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> my fancy and, uh, of my water. <laughs> yes. And, and until the, the next time, please, please continue to be amazing. Until next time. Cheers. Yeah. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.